Welcome to Growing Up 80s, December 2020, a podcast where two friends talk about the things that we loved as kids growing up in the 80s and that we still enjoy today. Or do we? This time we're talking about Garfield. Garfield? The comic strip. Garfield? That's the most boring comic in the world. We're talking specifically about the 80s Garfield, or maybe even yeah. right from well, the we'll beginning, probably, 78. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, we're talking about our experiences with Garfield in the 80s, and maybe some of our thoughts about Garfield now. Yeah. But we're probably, we're going to try to keep things positive. We're going we're gonna to look at the good. Yeah, that's right. Actually, I have not really paid attention to Garfield in any degree for a really long time. Yeah, I had to, you suggested this topic. And then so I, of course, had to read the Wikipedia page. Yeah. And I'm like, what? It's still going? What? It's, yeah. it's making a billion dollars a year? What? Yeah. <laughs> still? It's crazy, eh? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, but anyway, we're, we're going to focus more on the origins and, and what we thought as kids. I think. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, that, that's what my plan is as well. Um, yeah, it's not that I, I dislike Garfield, but whenever I see Garfield these days, whether it be like the new movies, and the new movies are probably actually old at this point, right? Yeah. Um, or the comic strip or the TV shows, it's like, wow, this is Garfield? It's so removed from what Garfield was 30 years ago or whatever it was, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a big difference. Forty years ago, yeah, I more guess, like even. forty yeah. now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Woo. But you know what's really neat? I'll, I'll just throw this in right here. A fun fact for you, Robin. Yeah. Um, my favorite comic book grew the Wanderer, drawn by Sergio Aragonés, and written. I um, will put written in air quotes yeah. because Sergio does write, but Mark helps out with it. Mark Evanier was has been working on the Garfield cartoon show since way back in the 80s. He's Ooh. he was a writer for the Gar- Garfield cartoon show. Yeah. Wow. So, you know, there maybe there's a connection there for me. I don't know. <laughs> maybe well, there, there is. is that connection, but yeah. So, yeah, let's let's talk a little bit about history of Garfield itself and then we can talk about us and Garfield. You know. Yeah. You and me and Garfield and the things that we all did together as kids. <laughs> yes. So you were you were mentioning that you you hit the Wikipedia article. Yeah. So you know the official story of the history of Garfield. <laughs> yeah. That uh, Garfield started on June nineteenth, nineteen seventy eight. Uh, written and drawn by uh, Jim Davis of Muncie, Indiana, and uh, he was working in uh, a town. Actually, I don't know if the town was Fairmont or if the town itself was, um, I don't know if, if Jim was working in or living in Fairmont at the time or living in Pendleton, but he was working at the Pendleton Times. He had this comic strip he was working on and, you know, he was working um, with, uh, the, he was like an apprentice artist with an established strip, uh, the the tumbleweed strip. He wasn't the creator or the artist, but he w- he was on the staff working, drawing for them since like the late 60s. But in 1978, he pitches his comic strip Garfield to the syndicates and it becomes syndicated and it becomes a, almost like an overnight success. And Jim Davis is just this 
guy who has just got a great comic strip going. Everyone loves Garfield. His dreams come true because he's been this guy who's wanted to be a cartoonist since he was a kid. And he'd been writing for his high school newspapers and stuff like that and plugging away at the newspapers and putting his time in as an apprentice. And he makes it into the big time with his his first real comic strip, Garfield, and and the rest is history. It's a, a huge success. 40 years later, everyone's still reading it, and it's monetarily the most successful comic strip ever, maybe? Yeah, I think so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so yeah, that's that's the story of, of Garfield <laughs> and how Garfield started. I think you're hinting at there being more to it. I am. I am hinting at it. Now, I did not know this. And actually, when I suggested that we do Garfield, it's because, yes, I did love Garfield growing up. I I had like tons of the Garfield books and I read Garfield in the newspaper and I had Garfield toys and I liked drawing Garfield and all that stuff. I was into Garfield. Garfield, whatever Jim was doing, whatever his, whoever his market was, it must have included me because... I was all in in Garfield. Garfield was a big thing, and I was enjoying Garfield at the time. But I had watched this documentary. I guess you can call it a documentary. A YouTuber, a big Garfield YouTuber fan, put together this video. And the video is over an hour long. So, you know, and it's documenting um, this trip that he did and this discovery kind of thing, this uh, archaeology that he's been doing. is really interesting. So I guess you could call it a documentary about the the lost history of Garfield and Jim Davis and and more fleshing out the story of how Garfield came to be. So most of what we read about the history of Garfield is the truth. It's just kind of leaving out some of the other steps that that kind of preceded Garfield exploding and becoming the big thing. Mm-hmm. So yeah, Jim Davis... Um, was an artist since his childhood. He did draw for his high school newspaper and for his uh, high school yearbook in Fairmont, Indiana. He had a, a comic strip called Little Folk. And then he um, was working for the Pendleton Times, a, I don't know, I guess you could call it a small town Indiana newspaper, kind of doing the political cartoon type thing, but um, wanting to do his own strip. And so he had... Um, a strip for two or three years, actually, in the Pendleton Times called Norm Nat. Norm spelt with a G, Gnorm Gnat. Gnorm Gnat, okay. Gnorm Gnat, yeah. So that he, he's been, he was drawing this strip for like three years, um, honing his craft, working on story, working on, not so much working on art, but, you know, working on his art and pitching this particular comic strip to the syndicates for a few years. Um, not getting any success and having it picked up. And yes, it was true that, you know, since 1969, he was working um, with the uh, artist of and creator of the Tumbleweed comic strip as an apprentice. So um, just working on staff for that. So he, he was kind of in the comic strip business without having like his own successful strip to call to call his own. So he was working at this Norm Nat strip for a long time, um, just wasn't getting anywhere with it. But he was he was working at it for three years there, two or three years there. And the syndicates were saying, you know, 
some of the gags are funny. The art's good. You know, you've got the skills, but this is a, a comic strip about bugs. And we're not interested in, <laughs> in running with this comic strip about bugs. So after a number of years of doing that, Jim Davis switches gears. And in so he, he stops doing Norm Nat in December of 75. January of 76, he comes out with his new comic. And his new comic is called John, spelt J-O-N. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And like the first strip of the first comic, January 8th, 76, is John sitting there at his desk. He says, hi, I'm John Arbuckle. <laughs> same name, spelled with an N. Yeah. And I'm a cartoonist. Same job as the John Arbuckle in the Garfield comic ends up being... Um, John Arbuckle in the Garfield comic being an artist as well, uh, a cartoonist. And this is my cat, Garfield. Yeah. And there's, and I don't know, have you, have you seen any of these pre-Garfield comic no, strips? No, I've, I've only, I've heard about them, but I've never seen any of them. So yeah, this is definitely not, and like we can talk about the art of Garfield and how it kind of evolved through the years. This is not like what Garfield looked like in 1978 when it first hit the, the newspapers across uh, the States and in Canada and around the world. Um, it was a much looser, uh, a much free-flowing kind of style of drawing. Garfield himself, well, you know, same proportion, same kind of... Um, postures and stuff like that he had like these big saggy jowls which i guess garfield did but big fluffy saggy jowls with it almost looks like pock marks all over his cheeks and stuff like that <laughs> but you know he was a sourpuss cat and um it was basically the proto garfield strip and and he worked on that for well this is 76 so he worked on this for a couple of years before the syndicates finally said you know what this is this is better than norm nat uh <laughs> we like the gags we like the art but um john you know he's he's the cat the cat's really the star of the comic strip why don't you retool make the strip about the cat and while you're at it give him some stripes and I think that you might be on to something, the syndicates say. <laughs> so, yeah, so he does that in, in early 78, adds some stripes, uh, renames the strip Garfield. It gets a, a test run, I think, in one of the Chicago newspapers for a few weeks or a month or so. Yeah, and then the syndicates say, yeah, we're ready to syndicate this. Or syndic yeah, that's what you say, right? Syndicate this. Yeah. And Garfield becomes the national comic strip in 1978 that we know about. Yeah. So it's neat. Um, watching through this documentary, you see um, he was able to um, piece together several strips um, with several gags that he worked on for like the little folks comic strip in his high school that he reused in Norm Nat, that he reuses again in John and that he reuses again in Garfield, just as he's kind of just developing, working out what Garfield is going to be. Even like some character names and stuff like that, you see the same kind of character names kind of popping through and stuff like that. So it's kind of just an interesting, maybe we can put a, a link to this uh, video in, in our notes on the page because if you if you do enjoy Garfield or at least you're interested in his history or you liked him as a kid, you might find this to be pretty pretty interesting stuff to watch. Yeah, well, it's good to know that uh, Jim Davis actually went through some 
some trouble and some work, some effort mm. to, to find yeah. his success because it, it did seem like his success just came from nowhere. Yeah. He just showed up and bam, I've got this comic strip. Yeah. Great. Here's millions <laughs> yeah, here's your, of bucks. Here's, here's your millions of bucks. <laughs> Let's get that standard rich and famous contract out. Yeah. You win. <laughs> yeah, you are one of the winners. Yeah. So when you think of of Garfield, when you remember Garfield as as a child, um what what are your first memories or what do you think about like did you collect Garfield books? Were you a reader of the newspaper? When you were delivering newspapers, did you like flip open to the comic page before you delivered your papers and read Garfield ever? Or Yeah, I, I remember, it's funny, the main thing I remember is the books, the re mm. the rectangular wide books that were kind of like an unusual shape. I don't know if Garfield revolutionized that idea of, here, we're going to sell you the same comics that you read in the newspaper. Right. I think, weren't they? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that, yeah. It, they were the weekly strips. Yeah. We're just going to sell them back to you again. And yeah. uh, in this strange shaped book. And I remember the covers of the book being these bold colors, like a whole bunch mm -hmm. of green with yep. Garfield on it. And yeah, it would be right. what? Garfield takes the cake and Garfield. What, that's right. Uh, Garfield at large. At Garfield large. gains weight. Garfield bigger than life. Garfield weighs in. Garfield eats his heart out. Yeah, I've I've got the whole list of them here. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So I remember really wanting those, and then I I did buy, or they're given to me as gifts, or I bought them, or yep. whatever. Yeah. So I remember having three or four of them, which actually I I don't know why I can't find them. Uh, I, I was looking around for them this week. Haven't found them, but I did find one book called uh, The Garfield Treasury. Yes, that's the one. So I do have that one. And yep, that I, I have that one too. So I guess those are the Sunday color strips all collected. Okay, that's what that I is. I eh? think yeah. that's, that's my understanding of it. So yeah. I, I reread that, and that brought back a lot of memories of what sure. I think I found him funny at times back then as a kid. Mm -hmm. And I guess I was okay with the, the running gags. It was just, oh yeah, he's fat. He's lazy. He likes lasagna. Yeah. Yeah. It's just these ideas over and over again. But I remember being struck by one series had them going out, John and Garfield go out to the farm where I think John, right. John's parents lived. Yeah. And that really worked for me because it felt like, oh, they went to this place and there was like a continuity. Mm -hmm. it, it felt like there was um, a definite time and place. And here they are in a consecutive series of stories. Mm -hmm. uh, I guess I, I like that. I, I don't yeah. know what the appeal of that particularly is, but. Yeah. Well, it's interesting that you pick up on something like that as being something that appealed to you mm -hmm. because in reading like interviews with Jim Davis and, and watching some, some interviews with him online, it seems like he was definitely not like that wasn't his focus. That isn't, wasn't what he was trying to do. And that's, that's still not what he tries to do now going to the farm for a week long series, you know, is pretty mild as far as, you know, being topical or <laughs> contemporary or something like that. <laughs> yeah. But Jim's whole thing is that he wants the strip to be as 
non-rooted in time as possible. So he won't do like the political jokes. He won't use contemporary references in his comics because as much as he's trying to make it something that appeals to everybody everywhere. So like you could run these strips in any country, you know, just change the the language, right? To fit the language of the country. So it's not like rooted in the US. So if you don't understand US culture, you wouldn't understand the, the strip, right? So he's trying to stay away from that, but he's also trying to make them as timeless as possible. So a strip from, you know, 1980 would be just as relevant or irrelevant as a strip from 2020 would be so that he can now, and this is the cynical part of it so that he can sell those strips. <laughs> yes. So, so those strips are still money makers even now. Yeah. It does seem cynical, right? It's like, we're going to deliberately make this as absolutely marketable as we can. Yeah. Yeah. When I was reading through the Garfield treasury, there was at least one reference where uh, Garfield throws an object at somebody. He says, mm -hmm. like, eat your heart out. Is it Earl Weaver or some, you know, a baseball star okay, yeah. Yeah. that is of time, timely. And, uh, of course, Earl Weaver's famous and went into the yeah. Hall of Fame. I guess what I'm saying is that he he did allow a little bit of that kind of timely things. but I th Yeah, but like uh, an obvious lack of political references and for the most part, pop culture references and stuff like that. Can I ask you a little bit about, okay, so you've got the Garfield treasury there. So that's the one that you were kind of refreshing yourself with. Yeah. The first, the very first strips in the Garfield treasury compared to, you know, getting through the book into the end of the book. Do you notice much of a difference in the art style? Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, I yeah. find that really intriguing how those very first 1978 comics, mm -hmm. Garfield's much bigger. It looks much... like gravity is taking an effect <laughs> on him. Yeah. yeah. He is a really fat cat in yeah. those early ones. And he's got a lot of extra uh, almost shading or just mm -hmm. this, all this dark fringing on him. Mm -hmm. uh, he almost looks like he was more trouble to draw back then, too. Yeah, um, perhaps. So it is striking. Now, I know Garfield's changed more and more, mm -hmm. but if I'm thinking of by the time you're at the end of that book, which I think only goes to 1980. That would probably be about right. He's already changed a lot, but then I know he yeah. changes even more. Oh, yeah. 82, 84. So that's really interesting how the character was evolving so quickly. Yeah, for like, sure. Uh, yeah. And I, I guess it was all to facilitate new jokes, having a better design for yeah. him, like to make him more agile and more human-like. That's exactly right. I, that's yeah. what I would guess. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, uh, for sure. So what, what's cool though, is that this um, treasury book at the <gasps> end of this, that. Is this the thing that I was looking for that oh, I could not find? Yeah, this is so cool. This Does it uh, oh, do you, do yeah, you see that's that? neat. Yeah, no, okay. that's not what I was expecting you to show me, but yeah, I like that. Yeah. So that is Garfield before and after, and it shows four different versions of Garfield from 78, another one from 78, 79, and 1982. And you can see how he's got, 
yeah, he, he changes from being this small faced fat cat to a big faced fat cat to a much cuter, uh, nicelier, more geometrically drawn cat to a much more even anthropomorphized cat in 1982. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. So yeah, I I thought that was really cool. And it's almost like that's the only original thing in this book because, right, because everything else was like a rerun. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And there was also a section at the back that says about Jim Davis and it's like a, kind of like a biography Mm-hmm. And yeah, he, he does say Garfield consciously avoids any social or political comment. My grasp of the world situation isn't that firm anyway. <laughs> For years, I thought OPEC was a denture adhesive. <laughs> and he also, a uh, bit of a behind the scenes, the strip is pumped out daily in a, cheerf- yeah. a cheerful atmosphere among friends. Val- Valette Hildebrand is car- assistant cartoonist. Artists include Kevin Campbell, Neil Altacruz, Mike Fence, Brian Lum, and Dave Cunn, Ron Tudil is production manager, and so on. Anyway, yeah. it's like that many artists are drawing Garfield. And this is like 1982 that yeah. this book that you have comes out. Yeah, so like within four years of, <laughs> of syndication, the Garfield business, yeah. the Garfield factory is established and yeah so a thing that that jim was really one of the things that he was talking about in one interview was how they basically they they sit down for a week and they pump out a month's worth of strips wow it's just like okay let's just buckle down and do this this is a to them it is as much to them a business as it is um, a pleasure, a, a fun thing that they like to do. And you can tell that they really do enjoy what they're doing. Like it, somebody who likes to draw in cartoon, if you, you know, I guess it, whatever kind of job you have, if you love what you're doing, you love what you're doing. And it's clear that Jim loves what he's doing and it's his business. And he has figured out the efficiencies, how to, how to work things out so that they can get maximum comics with, I don't want to say minimal effort, but <laughs> <Yeah>. without, <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, without doing the same old things over and over again, everyone's specialized and they just, they just do their thing and, and they get the job done and they enjoy it. You were talking earlier about um, the odd shape of the comic books. And, and I just want to comment on that before I wanted to talk about kind of the evolution of Garfield as well. But um, yeah, like each, so I collected, um, I had that treasury that you have. I, I think I had his second treasury as well. But the um, the bold colored rectangular shaped books that you were talking about, I had probably nine or 12 of those. I think I had like the first, I would say 10 to 12 of those before I stopped collecting all of those. And those were about six months worth of strips in each book. And they would include the the Sundays as well. Uh, in black and white. But the reason that they did that odd rectangular shape, you know, it kind of like the, it's not called letterbox. It would be the, the HD version. Yeah. Yeah. The widescreen version, uh, (laughs) comic strip book was to fit, you know, you could fit two dailies on top of each other. And if you take a look, you'll get, you'll get the dailies and then there'll be one strip that is not in the same format. They kind of chop it up so that's on two lines, but you can see there there's 
it's been chopped up a little bit differently and it doesn't yeah. fit those one, two, three panels like the other ones do because it's two lines worth of things. So they would put their Sundays in as well. Yeah. Like that too. Yeah. So, and that was something that they um, originated that, that, that format, that was uh, size okay. was something they originated, I believe for, for putting out the Garfield collections. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's cool that they innovated a bit there. Like what's the best vehicle Mm-hmm. for showing these comic strips, you know? Yeah. Because I guess Charles Schultz, his, had, the Peanuts had always been in, in a regular kind of paperback. Yeah. But it was awkward, wasn't it? Or Well. I don't know. I don't yeah, remember. I don't know if it was necessarily awkward, but yeah, it was, it definitely wasn't, you know, like you'd be going from top to bottom this whole thing. And I even wonder if, if maybe was Garfield the first to say, yeah, in addition to pumping them out in the newspapers, we are going to sell every single strip in a book as well. Um, like for, for the collector and the fan, you know, that's great because you got them all f- in front of you. I wonder if, if maybe he was the first to say like right off the hop, basically we're going to publish every strip in a book for a collection for people to have as well. Yeah. I don't know, but yeah, I would assume like, I, I don't know who first started putting them in books, but probably peanuts even though they had a lot of books so mm-hmm. they probably didn't put everything yeah in i don't know yeah maybe they did i don't, I don't know either, i wonder if yeah. there's some global information network that that could have no well you'd could. have to ask it the right question like you yeah. couldn't just say who is the weaver baseball player guy you yeah. know you wouldn't get the right answer <laughs> We touched on on the evolution of Garfield from that ugly old seventies cat, and it was neat that you had that that thing because it was it was good for me to see even like how Jim liked to divide it up because you could see how there was at least two stages to the ugly old seventies cat with like the small face, big body. And then, okay, we're getting a bit more cartoony. We're getting the big face, big face on yeah. that big body. Um, and then, very early in the eighties it seems like uh, he really cleaned up the look of Garfield. He gave him those perfectly round eyes, the perfectly oval nose, um, and and just made it a really clean looking, a sharp looking cat to look at. And then um, later on, I think the fourth, the 1982 picture that, that was in your book, you kind of saw that he was almost starting to get those oval eyes. They, they changed from being perfect circles to ovals and he was more standing up more anthropomorphic anthropomorphized so that he can run around and hit Odie with newspapers and do things that real cats can't do you know drop kick the dog off the table yes one of the running jokes and stuff like that but yeah and and now he's he's even more of this cartoony stretched out very much a i think i could see a child's skeleton fitting inside the body of that cat (laughs) type thing. Yeah, really neat. I was hoping that the the page that you were going to show me from the back of your book was the how to draw Garfield page. Oh, no. Because as a kid, one of the things that I liked to do a lot was draw Garfield. And I think that Garfield was one of the first um, cartoons that I tried to copy, not just by looking at it and saying, okay, I'm going to try to draw it. But I had access to the actual cartoonist put out instructions on how to draw this particular character. And so I remember as a kid in one of the books, and I looked through the books that I could find and 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 just couldn't find this thing. There was like the step-by-step how to draw oh, Garfield. Yeah. 
And I'm, um, I'm this, remembering that now because yep. I, I remember trying to draw Garfield. I yeah. think step by step. I think everybody at school so, must have been trying to draw Garfield. Yeah. So I think it was probably in one of those, maybe one of the very first. Mm -hmm. books because like i said yeah. i think i only have three or something yeah so. yeah and i remember it was from the definite round circle eye days where he would often just be sitting down like i can picture how to draw like i can picture the two eyes line across the middle round nose the little cheeky things come out here and then from under the nose you have the lines for the mouth that kind of start under the nose and swoop out almost like a mustache and this little turn thing around here and the arches for the ears and how to shade in the ears and around the side of the head and how many stripes you're supposed to put yeah, around the, stripes, the side of the head yeah. and sitting down. Yeah. And the tail and how the tail stripe was a little bit different from the other stripes. So I really liked, I liked the fact that they gave you that how to draw Garfield. So I drew a lot of Garfield and then I guess because that was the Garfield that I drew. Like even mid, early mid eighties Garfield to me is, oh, that's just that new Garfield stuff. Yes. You know, oh, he's got oval eyes now and he's, he's, he's not even standing up necessarily yet, but he's more, a little bit more upright than the, the one that I learned to draw. So, oh, that's, that's the new Garfield. And it's not that I checked out a Garfield there because I, I definitely did collect all those um, books like the ones that you had as well. But uh, yeah, that's New Garfield, you know, <laughs> yeah. six years into the series or five years into yeah. the series. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's like late 80s. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, and it's not even late 80s. It's like mid. early mid 80s. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I collected all of those books. I had all the standalones and uh, I had a couple of the treasuries. I remember having the treasuries that, that you had there. I got rid of my Garfield books in one of my purges yard sales yeah that that we always talk about <laughs> um you know what if there was one garfield book that i could still have it was kind of a a non-treasury book a non-weekly collection book but it was an official garfield book that was just really cool and really different and in some ways just really bizarre and i wonder if you remember this book i send you a picture of it here it's called garfield his nine lives. Wow. So Garfield, yeah. his nine lives was this, it was almost like a graphic novel that tried to tell the story of nine different iterations of Garfield, nine different lives that Garfield goes, that, that he lives through throughout history. <laughs> and so it starts with the creation. It actually starts with like the creation story. And there's this, there's, there's God, except his name isn't God. It's Todd. <laughs> <laughs> the Todd said, let there be cat. And so it tells the creation story about how, you know, God or Todd creates the cat. And then it kind of goes through, you know, the caveman cat, Viking cat, just kind of going all the way through to space cat in the end. And there's all these different stories. And it was, it was done by Jim Davis and his crew, but it was illustrated by a bunch of different illustrators. And, and I think the stories at the very least, um, were co-written by other writers and stuff like that. So it was, it was just super cool. So can I just tell you about a couple of the ones that really stand out to me in this one? Yeah. Just, uh, the art it is interesting yeah. to see an, an official Garfield book with such different 
art styles mm-hmm. on the cover, you know? Like, yeah, yeah. Uh, so what do you see there? Well, yeah. So there's a Garfield with fangs that, yeah. that could be drawn by Davis and crew. And mm-hmm. then a Viking, uh, yeah. a Viking Garfield that looks like it almost for sure was drawn by Davis. Yeah. But then there's this kind of film noir yeah. uh, Garfield, like a, a cat who's orange with black stripes, but very different art style. Very, uh, I don't know what kind of, it looks almost like paints or something. Yeah, reused. yeah, for sure. And he's smoking. He's, yeah, he's got a cigarette. Yeah. Yeah. And then another a weird Garfield with like a blue fringe over his eyes. <laughs> yeah. That could be in the Davis style. Yeah. Um, yeah. Then another one. Yeah. It's just this cat with stripes, not even orange. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Very different art style. Then a very soft art style, like air, yeah. an airbrushed Garfield. Definitely, yeah. Uh, and then another dark, mysterious looking Garfield that looks much more like a realistic cat. Yeah. Uh, and then I think modern, normal Garfield. I think so too. Yeah. And then the final one, I guess you're saying is Garfield in space. Yes. And uh, I guess he's wearing a, a space helmet. He's kind of got a, well, I think he's got a little jumpsuit on. He might not have a helmet oh, on. Oh, okay. Okay. In the thing, but yeah. The first one that you saw there, Cave Cat. Yeah. It's it's kind of, it's got like a sketch, a, a sketchy, scratchy kind of style to it. And the colors are, they almost look like more pasteled, like not necessarily pastel, like when we think of like the the teals and the pinks and stuff like that, but kind of colored in with those pastels and kind of smeared a little bit. It's not those solid colors that we often think of when we think of comics, you know, they're kind of gradients and a little bit a little there, but you know, it's a standard, you know, silly slapstick caveman dinosaur, me dumb, you cat, this (laughs) dinosaur type jokes and and the punchline for that one is the big dinosaur that comes to get the cat in the end is basically Odie. <laughs> and we haven't talked about any of the other characters no, I in, know. Uh, in in Garfield yet, but uh oh I'm sure most of our listeners know who Garfield and Odie are, Odie being the dog that lives in Garfield's house, kind of Garfield's best friend slash worst nemesis. Yes. And the second one that you're looking there at uh, Garfield with the Viking helmet and the braids and the big beard. And uh, yeah, that's basically tells the story of, of these Vikings, including their Viking cat that get frozen in ice and show up in Minnesota <laughs> and, and unthaw in St. Paul. And one of the guys becomes like a, a football player on the Minnesota Vikings and all these, all the Vikings just trying to fit in. And so how this cat who was raised as a Viking tries to fit in, in, in middle America. And then, yeah, the third one that you saw there is this film noir, uh, detective story. And what's really nutty about that one is that it's basically just, um, a short story. It's about six pages long. Um, there's a couple pictures drawn in it, but it's just text. You just read the story. Yeah. About this cat detective. Are most of these actual cartoons? Yes, they're all, um, m- most of them are comic strips. Yeah, comic strips. One or two of them are a little bit more just kind of graphic art with a bit of a story, less structured. Um, but yeah, they're mostly all comic strips, except for this one short story one there. Yeah. Yeah, you, you pointed out, uh, we'll kind of skip over the the one with the blue fringe. I think it's just trying to be like a Three Stooges kind of spoof, and that's one uh. of the Stooges there. Yeah, and then then you pointed out this 
um, this one cat, this brown cat with like the real precise line drawings. And yeah, it's, it's almost photorealistic in some ways. It's kind of that, that hyper-realistic eighties kind of style of, um, this, this real cat doing his, his thing. I think it's, he's like a lab animal or something, a lab cat that escapes in that one. And then there's the airbrushed one that I don't know if you can tell just by looking at the cover, but it's just this very psychedelic story. Okay. And it's kind of funny that they have like this creation story to start this book because this story is called In the Garden. And ah. as, as soon as I, I found it and I flipped, it was like everything came back because it's just a little bit psychedelic because it, it kind of takes like Garden of Eden mashed up with yellow submarine kind of stuff going on. Beatles yellow submarine. Oh, yeah. yeah. And, but all done in this airbrush style and the cat's owners, this, this flower child girl, and they're put in this garden and in the middle of the garden is this crystal box that they're not allowed to touch else bad things will happen. So yeah, it's just really weird, psychedelic kind of stuff mashed up with, with the garden of Eden story. And I think in the end they do get uh, kicked out of the garden for, <laughs> for some reason. That one is a little bit weird because Garfield doesn't have any stripes. So he looks a little bit naked, (laughs) kind of without his stripes. There's three more. I just want to go over them real quick. The bottom left corner one that you were talking about was also a realistic looking cat. um, A real kind of scratchy, jittery looking art style. That is called Primal Self. And that one is, is one of the, that's the real... That and the lab animal one is the real kind of art project one. And as a kid, this one really spooked me out because it was gritty and it was dark and it was strange and it was left unresolved. So there's this cat living in this house and um, you could tell that the cat was really nervous and on edge and like maybe bad things were happening to it or it wasn't being properly taken care of or something like that. And I think that's what the case was. It, it just wasn't being properly taken care of, not necessarily abused, but just not being properly taken care of. And in the last couple, like on the last page, you can, there's somebody speaking to the cat saying, Oh, come over here, kitty, kitty, come over here. And the last panel it's really a page is just a full page drawing of this old lady in a chair kind of with her back to the cat and she's got these glasses on and you can tell that she can't see really really well and she's saying come to mama come to mama like she loves the cat and the cat is just claws her out fangs her out and it's just jumping with its mouth open right at the at the old lady on the chair and that's kind of how it ends wow which is really like, come on, Jim, that's really edgy. <laughs> we weren't expecting actual art, actual like works of art. Yeah, you're making Jim. us think Don't. and feel <laughs> things that are uncomfortable. <laughs> and then we've got like regular Garfield and Garfield in space. And the Garfield in space is kind of like a book into the to the caveman Garfield, silly space jokes. And it turns out that the computer, like the HAL 9000 type computer that is going to destroy the spaceship is Odie. Oh. (laughs) And it's just one of those kind of dumb little funny things. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, that was a really neat book. I, I read that book tons and tons and tons when I was a kid and just thought it was so cool because I liked Garfield and because these were just like, like how often... Like with such an established and, and how, how would you say it? Like it almost 
like we've been talking, it's like a very, Garfield is a very curated strip. Like they yeah. know what they're doing. They know how they want to do it. It's very in the box very kind safe, of thing. Very safe. Exactly. Yeah. And then there's this thing, which is like totally not any of that, but it's yet it's official. Yeah. And so you just get to see all these crazy, weird permutations and imaginations of what your favorite cat cartoon could be. So, yeah, it was just, as a kid, I just thought this was just the neatest way to explore something that was supposed to be this one way, but no, you can see it in all these different other ways. It was pretty cool. Yeah, that that does seem daring for him. And yeah, uh, yeah. Maybe we should talk because we kind of mentioned it. We mentioned Odie. And we've mentioned John um, Arbuckle at the very beginning. Maybe we should talk about some of the, the characters in the comic, just to, to touch on them briefly. So when I was reading the Treasury, that Lyman, I think is mm-hmm. how you say his name, yep. was there with Odie. And it was just this weird roommate of John's, I guess. Yeah. So yeah. it was like the four of them, it's like two guys and a dog and a cat living together. Yeah. And then... They decided to get rid of Lyman. Odie stayed, but yeah. but the owner left. Yeah, it's like Odie was working with the strip, but Lyman wasn't. So okay, yeah, we'll just get rid of Lyman. That's okay. <laughs> yeah, we can. And yeah, it's not like I don't remember any storyline saying, "Oh, Lyman has to. He's going. He's joining the army, so you have to take care of." <laughs> yeah, he's going to Odie college. or something like yeah. that. Yeah, <laughs> nothing like that happening. And so we have John R. Buckle, the owner of Garfield. Where's Garfield? Or is Garfield the owner of John Arbuckle? Sometimes it's hard to, well, to tell. that's the thing, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Who is this cartoonist who I guess is supposed to kind of be like the Jim Davis character, or maybe this is, you know, maybe Jim just had to give the person in the comic, the owner of the cat, some sort of profession. So it's like, okay, well, I know cartooning, so you'll be a cartoonist. I don't think it ever really comes up. Yeah. Aside from the very early strips. It's like... Do we have any idea of what John does besides wake up in the morning, have coffee, try to date the veterinarian? Yeah. I don't know. What else does he do? That's about it. That's about it. Yeah. And then a couple other characters that, at least in the beginning, were kind of part of things. Do you remember Nermal? Nermal is a small, cute cat, I think. Yes. Right? Yeah, that's right. He's that small, cute gray cat that Garfield hated because everyone thought that Nermal was cute. And I guess they didn't think that Garfield was cute, or they thought Nermal was small and cute. Yeah. And they knew that Garfield was at least big. <laughs> and so maybe that doesn't equal cute. Yeah, you can't be cute if you're fat. That's right. That's oh, the... that's not true. <laughs> <I'm>... <laughs> Thanks, Darren. <laughs> um, and then Pookie. Yeah, Pookie the teddy bear. Yeah. I think Pookie was one of my favorite characters. Yeah, so, I like Pookie. So Pookie was Garfield's teddy bear, right? Yes. And and was just totally inanimate. It's not like Pookie could talk or anything. That's right. Pookie was just a teddy bear. But then yep. I guess Garfield would talk to Pookie, mm-hmm. sort of in the way that John would talk to Garfield. Yeah, and I think that that Garfield would sometimes kind of respond for Pookie or at least interpret what Pookie's feelings, emotions, and desires were kind of like a polka dot dorts type thing. Oh, what's that marigold? Yeah. You say that, or, or, or a lassie, the dog type situation. Timmy's fallen down the well. <laughs> that dog can't talk. 
Yeah, I think Pookie was maybe obviously would be given to Garfield. It's not like Garfield made Pookie or went out and bought Pookie on his own. I think that Pookie belonged to somebody else. And then Garfield said, I teddy bear, I'm not having a teddy bear when Pookie first showed up. And then he kind of secretly loved Pookie and then kept Pookie and Pookie became the thing. Pookie was super cute too. Yes. Like, you know, as much as Nermal was supposed to be cute, Pookie was cute. Yeah. Little black nose, little black eyes. Pookie was apparently around right from 1978. Yeah. Yeah. When yeah. I was reading through that first book, that first collection, the first six months of strips, Pookie showed up. Pookie's origin was there. Yeah. So speaking about Pookie. Yeah. I wonder if we can move into some of the uh, other things that we may have experienced Garfield in as children in the 80s. Do you remember any of the toys that you had as a kid in the 80s that may have been Garfield toys? Did you ever have any Garfield lunchboxes or anything like that? Well, the only thing I can remember is a Pookie. Mm -hmm. I had a real Pookie. It was like a small teddy bear, like ex yep. extra small. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, he was, I think, one of my favorite teddy bears to have around. Sure. And even though I assume I was pretty old by the time, like, I doubt I got him in, well, maybe it was like 79 or 80. But well, let's say it was 80. He yeah. would have been like around eight years old. Seven or eight years old. Yeah. 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 I had Pookie and the, I just have two memories of him. Mm -hmm. One was that somebody puked on him. Oh no. I, either me or probably my sister puked on po um, puked on Pookie. <laughs> on Pukey. Yeah, Pukey. And he then puked on Pukey. And then and then we would call him Pukey <laughs> quite a bit after that. And never totally got rid of the acid puke yeah. smell. Oh, never a hundred percent, or at least it was so strong. Whatever the smell of pookie happened to be, yeah, there was you always made that the smell of puke in your brain. There was a bit of that acidy puke kind of smell to him forever. And the other thing was losing him at a hotel or forgetting him at a hotel, oh, yeah, yeah out of, at a hotel out of town, driving away and then finding out and being pretty upset. And I think my parents managed to get him mailed back to us. Well, wow. yeah, I'm pretty much sure that we did get him back. Uh, I don't know what's happened to him now, unfortunately, yeah. but yeah, that was pretty traumatic. But I think I got very attached to those sort of things. Yeah. yeah feeling yeah. like I left something behind was hmm. very upsetting. That makes sense. Do you remember where you got poop? or I almost called him pukey. Do you remember where you got him or, or was he a gift or? I, I assume, yeah, just a gift either for my birthday or for Christmas, but I, I don't remember for sure. Yeah. But yeah. I definitely remember pukey, your pukey. And <laughs> I, I secretly really like, well, I don't know if I secretly really liked your, pu your pukey. <laughs> I'm going to call him pukey the whole time now. I really liked Pookie and the fact that you had a Pookie kind of made me a little bit jealous. Like, oh man, I wish I had a Pookie too. But then at the same time, in my mind, it was like, well, we both can't have a Pookie because there is only one Pookie. And I know that there's more than one Pookie toy in the world, but <laughs> you can't play with two Pookies at the same time right. because that just breaks the laws of Garfield. So <laughs> Robin's got Pookie 
and I'll go over to Robin's house to play with Robin and Pookie. And Pookie, yeah. And Pookie. <laughs> One of the memories that I have about your Pookie, Pookie, <laughs> is, is a particular game that we played, and Pookie was kind of the star of the game. Oh. And I mentioned I mentioned to you earlier that, that I remember playing a game with Pookie with you. Yeah. And you were a little bit, oh, what, what kind Uh-oh. of game were we playing? Where is this going to go? <laughs> we played this kind of make a mystery and solve a mystery game with Pookie quite often. Yeah. Like I remember like doing this way more than just once, like going over to your place and it's like, oh, let's play the Pookie detective game again. <laughs> okay. And what we would do is one person would have to get out of, like we would either do it in your room or we would do it in your downstairs um, family room or something like that. And only one person was loud in the room. The other person had to wait outside with the door closed. And the person who was inside would kind of set up a scene, like with the toys and the shelves and the, you know, whatever yeah. furniture was in the room. And they would invite the person in. Maybe I was always doing this and you were, and you would just kind of come in and listen to me tell the stories and stuff like that. So you would come into the room and you would explain, you know, you'd set the scene and you'd tell the story and stuff like that for the scene. Then you'd send the person out of the room and then you'd change the room and you'd come back in and either somebody would be missing or something would be stolen. There was some sort of mystery to solve and Pookie would be in like a different location or something like that. And he was always like the, the key, the lynch pin to the, I don't know if it's lynch pin is the right word, but he was always the key to solving the mystery. You'd have to figure out what Pookie had done and you know, who was the thief or what went missing or how it got missing and how Pookie was involved. And I remember like, tying up like strings from shelves to bedposts and stuff like that. And part of the solution would involve, well, you know, Pookie was going hand over hand over the wire thing, or he, he would skydive off the dresser and down and do all of this stuff to, to catch the thief or to steal the, the jewels or whatever, or the toy or whatever that happened to be missing. Wow. None of this, none of this is ringing a, no. a bell to okay, you. Okay. Well, what the idea of seeing my room with Pookie in it and then you changing things. This is slightly mm-hmm. familiar. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, I'm now remembering those white shelves I used to have Yes, with red and blue semicircles oh, that yeah. fit into the end. And I can imagine you using those. Those would be like sh- apartments. Yeah. You using yep. those shelves as part of this game. Yeah. So I have, very vague memories of this. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. there you go. Okay. That's, that's that's a strong memory I have about wow. playing with Pookie. Yeah. Pookie. Presumably, most of the stuff happened before Pookie got puked on. I don't remember, like, sniffing Pookie <laughs> <laughs> and saying, I don't want to play with this anymore. Yeah. I had a stuffed Garfield cat. I don't have any memories of Garfield and Pookie, our, our two stuffed toys getting together to hang out. Yeah. Which seems a little bit strange. That's too bad. Yeah. But yeah, I remember having my Garfield the cat. I think I may have got Garfield the cat. I don't know if it was like, I would sometimes get gifts at the end of the school year. You made it through the school year. <laughs> and have like, Here's a small toy from like grandma or something like that. 
I think I may have gotten my Garfield um, from that, but he was he was one of the more anthropomorphized Garfields with. He's kind of like, he had like the beanbag body, but he had arms and legs so that you kind of stand him up and walk him around and stuff like that. So yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't just a sitting down kind of early on Garfield. Did you have an Odie as well? I can imagine seeing an Odie doll, but I don't remember if it was ours or an Odie stuffed toy. Yeah. Just I that- wasn't sure if I had the Odie or if you had the Odie, but I think one of us did. I lean towards you having it, and I can imagine he just reminds me of a balloon animal. Yeah, kind of, Because of the long neck and and the nose that points out the front. Yeah. Yeah. I think one of the other reasons that I really coveted your Pookie was, in my mind, Garfield, Odie, and Pookie were really the trio. You know, if you had the three of them, then you had, it was like having the complete set. Yeah, like you don't want like a John stuffed no. animal would you like a lyman no no definitely not do you want a normal eh. maybe but he would be at least number four yeah on the list yeah <laughs> was there anything that you wanted to bring to the conversation about garfield that i haven't kind of made room for yet yeah the the one thing the one other garfield thing i remember is getting i think it was a pirated disc for the Commodore 64. Yeah. But it was called Create with Garfield. Okay. Yeah. And did, did you ever play with this? I think, like, I, I looked online for Commodore 64 Garfield stuff, and I saw a couple things, and I thought, you know what? I might have played around with Create with Garfield. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it was just like, basically, you're just playing with big bitmaps. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there would be, like, John sitting in his chair, just like a stamp almost yeah and then you can move that image around the screen and put it in a scene hit Mm -hmm. enter and there it would be um and then you could add garfield so basically you could just build up an image like a comic creator sort of except you were only creating i think one scene okay and then you could just kind of stamp these images down so you could just you know, put a bubble, type, yep. type some comps, but it wouldn't be like making a three, a panel three strip. panel strip. It would just yeah. be making an image. And then it would have these terrible output, these terrible print features. But there's that sense that when you made something on a computer, it wasn't real until mm-hmm. you tried to send it to the printer. Yeah. But you were never happy with how it looked on the printer, but then at least you made a real thing, a thing that you yeah. could show your grandma or whatever. Your grandma, yeah, that's right. I made this. How would you make that with a computer? You know, but Ooh. yeah. Why does it look so terrible? <laughs> 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 because it's our, you know, our dot matrix prayer, seven pin dot matrix printer yeah, or whatever. Right. right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I do have memories of that kind of thing mm-hmm. of, of playing with these. There seem to be a whole bunch of these programs that were all the license. This is how you deal with a comic license in the mid eighties. Yeah. You don't really make a good game about it. Usually instead you make an educational, well, actually you mostly just make these terrible create Mm -hmm. programs. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, it's, it was okay. And there, there were a couple other, uh, Garfield, big fat, hairy deal. In, okay. 19, in 1988 was an actual Garfield 
kind of platformer. Okay. Um, by the edge, but it, it just came out in, I don't think it came out in the States. It was like, uh, or in North America. Uh, oh. I think it was only European release. Okay. Maybe. That yeah. would maybe explain why we never saw it. Yeah. And, uh, and the one other thing I want to mention is that there actually was an Atari 2600 Garfield game, mm-hmm. uh, that was created, but it never got released because oh. Jack Tremell, yeah, the then former owner of Commodore, later owner of Atari, decided yeah. he didn't want to pay that much in royalties, and he would oh. rather he'd rather just cancel the game and not release it than spend the money. Really? <laughs> yes. That's nutty. Yeah. I came across another Garfield game for the Commodore sixty four, Garfield's Winter Tale, and that appeared to be a skiing game, a downhill skiing game featuring Garfield. (laughs) And I don't know if that was ever really released. It looks pretty neat. Like the graphics look pretty good for, you know, a a mid eighties Commodore 64 kind of thing, a late eighties Commodore 64 thing. Yeah. But I, but from what I've read, yeah, the gameplay is really quite crappy. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I did not ever play that one. Oh, and I'm looking at one of them, and it looks like maybe that was also done by The Edge. Yes. What was the name of the platforming one that you were talking about? It was called Big Fat Hairy Deal. Hmm. There you go. But yeah, they must cool. have they, the company must have got this license. Yep. And made a couple not so great games. Yeah, I guess so. Jack Tremiel was right. I think he was. Well, those are my memories of Garfield. Um, and as I said earlier, you know, I'm not reading Garfield strips anymore. My boys, not so much my 11-year-old, but my 9-year-old, he will still watch Garfield. Like, there's some Garfield stuff on, on Netflix right now. And yeah, he'll be, he'll be into watching, watching that. And I think that we've watched, um, I don't know if there's one or two Garfield movies um, on Netflix as well that, that we've watched. And, you know, that's that's fun enough stuff for an hour or two with the boys watching. But uh, other than that, my Garfield consumption actually is mostly nothing these days. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I don't feel like I want to to watch or read too much Garfield anymore, but I definitely do have a lot of fond, nostalgic memories back in the day, collecting the books, drawing the cat, um, reading the comics in the paper. Like I remember flipping my... I would usually read the comics in the Chronicle Journal that my mom and dad would be getting every day and reading the Garfield in there. And yeah. Yeah. Happy Garfield memories. Yes. You're just mentioning your son watching this Garfield cartoon. Yeah. I, I didn't, I didn't realize there's actually been two separate mm-hmm. cartoons with about seven year runs each. Yeah. So that kind of amazes me to, but I haven't watched any of them. Do you know, like, does your son laugh while he watches it? Does it... Does anybody you know? really laugh when they watch <laughs> cartoons? <laughs> well, my my kids howl at a few things they really like. Yeah. They actually yeah. do laugh. Well, you know, I don't know if if my son laughs out loud at them. I can't, I can't imagine him laughing and laughing and laughing at something, but he returns to it. Yeah. So it must mean something. We return to Garfield... It must mean something. (laughs) 
That kind of sums it up, eh? (laughs) It must mean something. Here we are, 40 years later, talking about Garfield. It must mean something. (laughs) It must. You know, if Garfield means something to you, dear listener, you can get in touch with us to share your memories of Garfield on Twitter, if you'd like. You can tweet me at Darren Folds. You can tweet Robin, that's me, at 8-Bit Show and Tell. Or you could tweet both of us at our Growing Up 80s Twitter account, GUP80s. Which Darren totally checks every day. Well, I, Twitter shows that little mark beside it if there's something going on. Oh, okay. So I'll go check it if I do that. If you feel like heading over to our patron page, Patreon page, just look up Growing Up 80s on Patreon.com. You can join into the conversation there. And we also have some bonus stuff on our Patreon page. We've got a a bonus to anybody. You don't have to throw us any dollars if you don't want. It's you can free. get our monthly bonus podcast at our Patreon page. Yeah, and in that podcast, we read and react to listener mail. And yeah. we often have, I don't know, we talk about other stuff or wherever that leads us. It's usually fun. Yeah, so if you feel like getting in touch with us, you, you might send us on our next tangent on that bonus episode, the Mailbag Chinwag. Some people love that name. I think that's a fantastic name, Robin. Yeah. Well done. And we also have an exclusive podcast for our patrons of any monthly amount. Our exclusive this month is about our Christmas memories, gifts, and other things we would do every Christmas in the 80s. So if you'd like to chip in a a dollar or two or more, you would be welcome to, and you would be rewarded like some of our patrons who get their names read out on the podcast Mm -hmm. and much, much more. Extra big shout outs to our 8-bit backers, Rob O'Hara and Ian Calhoun. Yes, and also thanks to our just a bit backers, MV, Chris Albright, Michael Dornbos, and our newest patron, Apogee79. Right on. Thank you, people. Thank you very much. Well, those are our Garfield memories. This has been December 2020. Robin, we did a whole year of podcasting once a month, plus lots of bonus and exclusive stuff. Good job. Yeah. Congratulations to you too, Darren. And thanks for the patrons because they literally, we had actually, we had actually basically stopped this podcast for, was it a whole year? Did we take all of 2019? I think we took 2019 off. Yeah. And you had left the patron page open. (laughs) Yep. We didn't even realize. Oh, and it was actually December, 2019 when you go, Robin, we got a patron. (laughs) And I'm like, what? You know? Yeah. Yeah. And so... Uh, I remember us walking around, you were just moving house then. So you were living at your in-laws right? while you were t- waiting. So I met you at your in-laws place where you're temporarily living. Yeah. We went for a walk and we talked about how we were going to get growing up eighties going again. And here we are a year later. We did it. We did it. All well of 2020. Done. And that was thanks to Justin for getting us started again and to the rest of you for keeping us going. Indeed. Thank you very much. Well, we will see 
We will see. You will hear us, if all goes according to plan, in the new year. Because we're going to keep going with this, aren't we, Robin? 2021, here we come. Can't be any worse. It cannot be any worse. It could be. You know, we could <laughs> we don't really believe. start slacking up. We're not going to believe that. That's right. We're going to try to keep putting a solid effort in. I'm not talking about like the year in general. I'm talking about me and you. <laughs> we're going to be worse. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Anyway, so thanks for listening this year, and we'll talk to you in the new year. Yep. For Robin Harbin, I am Darren Folds. Good night. Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. Good night. Good ending. <laughs>